0: Every Monday, I give one of you, Top Tribe, a hundred bucks to invest in your idea to get it to the top. To enter for your chance to win, simply subscribe to the podcast on iTunes now, and then text the word Nathan to 33444. Okay, Top Tribe, you are listening to episode 276, and coming up tomorrow morning on episode 277, we're gonna walk up why Khalid gave up a million-dollar consulting business for a billion-dollar software-as-a-service idea. Okay, Top Tribe, good morning. Our guest this morning is Rob Biederman. He's the co-founder and CEO of Hourly Nerd, the leading technology platform delivering elite business talent. Founded with the collaboration of faculty members at Harvard Business School in 2013, Hourly Nerd boasts over 20,000 independent experts, including top MBAs, elite business advisors, and industry experts from leading corporations, and serves more than 4,500 companies. Based in Boston, Hourly Nerd focuses on innovative workforce solutions with leading, primarily Fortune 500, companies including GE, Microsoft, and ABP, along with American Apparel, as well as countless others on a confidence. Basis, Rob. Are you ready to take us to the top? Yeah, absolutely. All right, to be on. Yeah, man. First off, I'm excited to have you on. So, tell us real quick, what is Hourly Nerd, and how do you guys actually make money?
1: Sure. So, we are the leading online marketplace for business talent. Uh, companies use us when they have a critical business need that they can't solve with their existing workforce, and we make money by taking a small percentage of every transaction.
0: Okay. And so let's walk through a company that you can talk about that's using you. Why don't you give us a real customer example?
1: Sure. So uh, GE, General Electric, is one of our largest customers. They use us across the organization to tap in what what they refer to as the global brain. So there are constantly needs that, that happen in a company that big where they can't possibly have the expert, uh, you know, until like 52 weeks a year at that company. So our first project with them was wanting to learn more about the commercial robotics market. And our software connected them to a uh, Boston College Business School professor who had um, done a Ph.D. in mechanical and aerospace and engineering and knew a lot about the, uh, you know, the commercialized robotics industry and was able to help teach them
0: about it. And so what did GE pay to find that professor? Would they pay you?
1: Uh, that was in, in sort of the mid single digit thousands. Um, that was that was quite a while ago. The projects now are about twenty five thirty thousand dollars on average.
0: And are these? Is this like? Do you consider yourself a SAS business? Are these monthly recurring or is it one off projects?
1: Uh, we tend to have a very high repeat rate, but it's completely all apart. We've uh, tested with a lot of clients the, the structure that they thought would be most fair, and they wanted to, uh, you know, pay by by the project.
0: Okay, and how much? So let's call it. You said single thousands. Let's just say it was five thousand for that first project with GE. What percentage of that does the professor get to keep versus what does hourly nerd keep?
1: Every project's variable, but typically between eighty and eighty-five percent goes to the uh, to the consultant.
0: Okay, 80 to 85%. So, okay, and is that your revenue model? Is that your only revenue model? You're taking a percentage of the fees? Indeed,
1: so far. We have a few customers that um, use our software and are gonna pay for it on a standalone basis for getting the projects just because it helps them purchase consulting more smartly. But for now, we're just making money out of the percentage of the projects.
0: Okay, great. And then tell us a little (laughs) bit about the story, man. What were you doing before you founded Hourly Nerd and why'd you start it?
1: (laughs) So, I I worked in private equity uh, before business school. Oh gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, the hours were long. Uh, it was a Goldman Sachs and Bain Capital, and we hired Bain and McKinsey a bunch to help us with. Um, on-demand expertise, but the problem we found when we hired them was that they were so large and so bundled that we had to get a team of seven that would cost a few million dollars, and we rarely had needs that really needed that, that solution, uh, and so I had the idea in business school, actually it was a class project, just to be able to connect talent directly uh, to the business users who need it without the, you know, bloated cost structure that you get with the consulting firm.
0: And so, what I, I like to kind of get a sense of timing on this. A lot of our listeners, that, that, you know, some of them are really young, you know, 15, 16, 17-year-old entrepreneurs. Others are people who are stuck in a very comfortable job that they hate. And they're always looking to hear from people that gave up something comfortable to go after something risky. So, how old were you when you started in private equity and how old were you when you decided to leave? Uh, great question. So, I was about 21 when I started. Um, and then when we founded the company, I, w- I had
1: just turned 26. Um, you know, we had the benefit of being able to test a bunch of ideas while we were in business school and, and, you know, run around and try to pick up traction however we could. Um, what I would say though is, you know, obviously private equity is superficially a very comfortable life. I haven't regretted it soon, you know, for a second.
0: So help people understand if you don't mind what you gave up. I mean, when you, when you said, you know what, I'm going to give up this, I'm going to make it up $150,000 salary to go in and start my own business. I mean, what were you giving up?
1: Oh, gosh, Uh, (laughs) a tremendous amount. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, what you read about Mitt Romney during the 2012 elections, I mean, obviously, he he founded Bain Capital, but people there do extremely well. Um, And, you know, it was a real choice. That path is relatively certain, and there's a set of cash flows associated with it that's that's fairly well-trodden. And, obviously, starting a a startup, um, we didn't even pay ourselves for the first 18 months um, that was a, that was a big, big change.
0: So what, what, if you don't mind me asking, just cause there's people listening right now going, I have a $200,000 salary. I feel safe. I'm never moving. You'll give them confidence yeah. that they should like get off their ass and change. If they understand it really like the salary you gave up, what, what was the comp plan that you gave up? Um, it was, it was probably going to be sort of between four and 600,000. After like, after like kickback, you know, the, the carry and all that jazz. Yeah, probably more with the carry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Well, good. Look, that's a big thing to give up. So, obviously, it was something you wanted to go after. Did you Did you kind of, obviously, you're a PE guy, so you hedge your risk. Had you already saved up a bunch in case the startup had failed, you'd have a safety net to fall into, or did you really put all eggs in the basket?
1: Yeah, you know, I'd always, I hadn't planned on launching a startup. I'd just been a saver. Um, so I had uh, I had saved a tremendous amount um, from, from my time in private equity, but uh, certainly not enough to, uh, to live on for very long if the company were to fail. So, um, you know, it, 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 that was able to mitigate the, the pain of not uh, being paid for the first 18 months, but it certainly wasn't, you know, decades of
0: uh, runway. Mm-hmm. And what did you, uh, in terms of your founding partners, are there three of you or two of you or what? Uh, three of us, Yep. Yeah. Okay, three of you. And so another question, obviously, that always comes up when you're starting a business is how do you divide up equity? Talk, talk mm-hmm. about that conversation with your founders. How'd you figure that out?
1: Yeah, you know, early on we we had no sense of whatever roles folks were actually going to play, and so we decided to split it equally, um, but subject to a vesting schedule, just in case, uh, you know, folks lost interest or it turned out we were playing radically different roles. Um, You know, part of the challenge we faced early days, you don't even know what needs the company is going to have, much less who's going to play them, and so I would recommend to others that you make the um, you know vesting schedules as flexible as possible to accommodate future changes that
0: may occur. So was that vesting schedule that you guys put it, you put yourselves on standard, you know, the one year cliff for your vesting. That's exactly right. Yep. Okay. Got it. And you'd recommend that if you started again today, you do the same thing.
1: Absolutely. It's only fair to the people who end up remaining in the business. If if folks are going to lose interest in me, or perhaps for whatever reason, they won't be the right fit. You don't want to have a lot of debt equity sitting around. I'd say that's that's mandatory. There's no good reason not to have vesting equity for founders.
0: Would you ever extend it? I mean, considering that sometimes if you're going to build a billion dollar business, it takes a decade to build it. you ever do a year long cliff and like an eight year vesting schedule?
1: Um, Maybe a four-year minimum. Um, You know, I think the the flip side to that, though, is, you know, my co-founders and I are now... Two and three-quarter years into our vesting, and it does feel right that we would have fully earned our equity after another year and a quarter, because I we think we've you know contributed a bunch. But uh, eight years in certain cases might might also make sense. I'd actually never thought of that.
0: Yeah, interesting. Uh, obviously, accelerations on exit and liquidation events and things like that. But no, it's something I've thought of a lot, okay. just because you never want dead dead equity sitting on the cap table. For sure. Yeah. For okay. Sure. Okay, cool. So what... Um, this is great. So let's pull forward a bit. So give us a sense of, of total company size. So in, in 2015, uh, how many total customers were you guys working with?
1: Uh, we worked with about 5,000 customers and we have about 21,000 nerds.
0: 21,000. Okay, great. And of the 21,000 nerds, how many of them have actually have made, let's just something substantial. Call it over hundred bucks.
1: Oh, um, you know, in the the low single digit thousands.
0: Okay. And of the 5,000, of those 5,000 customers, uh, what are they, again, are they, are those mostly the GE kind of companies or like what's the average customer paying you?
1: Yeah. So it's a very broad range. You know, GE is the largest of our customers and obviously one of the biggest customer companies in the world. And then we work with all the way down to small businesses. We, you know, one of our, one of our clients was a woman named Jenny, the juggler, who was a juggler based in East Cambridge, Massachusetts, who does <laughs> children's birthday parties and used us for customer acquisition. You know, she would pay us on the order of three, four, 700, $900. And, you know, GE, the average project size is, you know, 25, 30,000. So it's a, we, we, we truly serve the entire American uh, business economy.
0: Uh, supporting the American dream, right? That's our hope. All right. All right, Rob. So give us a sense of current company size, how many total employees? Uh, We have uh, 58 employees. And are they all there in Boston or are they remote? You know, 100% of them are in Boston. We've we've thought about adding them
1: in other places, but we haven't quite yet done it.
0: Okay. And in 20, uh, you said you founded the company uh, in what year? Uh, February of 2013. Okay, 2013. And what was in your first year, what was total revenue? Oh, oh, Lord. Uh, do you remember?
1: It was I do. It was $150,000 in 2013.
0: <laughs> I love it. And now let's just go up to 2015. What was total revenue in 2015? We
1: don't, we don't uh, disclose our, our current revenue, but I can assure you it's uh, many orders of magnitude bigger than that. Uh,
0: can you give us a range uh, above or below $5 million in 2015? Uh, above that, above five million. Okay, and then yeah. last question I've got before getting to my favorite part of the show: you guys have raised capital. How much have you raised, and why did you decide to raise capital?
1: That's a great question. So we've raised about ten million dollars over three rounds so far. And originally, we went out into the market to raise capital because no, nobody on our founding team could write a line of code or really knew even the name of a programming language. <laughs> uh, so, Um, We had no ability really, you know, a lot of people in that that, uh, phase will go find a, you know, an MIT kid or a technical co-founder. And just because we were three Harvard MBAs who were still in in school, we had no ability to really convince anybody to do that either. And so what we really decided was we were going to raise money and then just pay a development firm to build us a website. Um, In the long run, I think that was a bad choice. Um, that, that required a lot of dilution relative to uh, you know what we probably could have gotten by adding a technical person early. But, you know, in a town like Boston, which is quite competitive for tech talent, we really had no credibility in the market at all until we had you know some money in our pocket.
0: Wait, Rob, Rob, I have to dig deeper. There, here's why I'm doing the same thing right now. I, I'm building a new comp. I sold my last company. I'm building a new one. Last company I had technical co-founders. This time, I'm. I'm I now have connections where I can raise capital, and I'm planning to go that exact route. So when you say a big risk that you regret is the dilution, uh, uh, I mean, can you give me some kind of sense of what that was like? Did you did you give up like 10% of the business right off the bat raising a convertible note, or what?
1: Uh, I was about 20%, so we raised 750 k at a uh, $3.75 million cap.
0: Okay, got it, okay, and that was back in 2013? Indeed, it was uh, from Mark Cuban, which is, which is quite a story. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, tell us, oh, come on, you can't just throw out Mark's name and not tell a little bit of the story. What happened?
1: So we met with um, 25 VC firms in San Francisco. They all said no. Um, you know, at that point, we'd done $9,000 of revenue. It was a total, you know, total joke to be out there meeting with the likes of the people we were. We got some good feedback, but there was no chance anybody was going to invest. We then uh, journeyed over to a guy who'd, who'd been a judge in the business plan contest that we originally wrote the business plan for. He told us he would give us money, but only if we could get another angel investor involved. We tried for months to get other angels involved, we couldn't, and eventually we applied to go on Shark Tank. We got uh, invited to come out to LA to tape and to audition, and then we found out that it was gonna overlap with our second year of business school, and so we dropped out of the process, um, because we didn't want to drop out of business school, and we sent Mark a note directly, an email just cold saying, hey, we just dropped out of the Shark Tank process, but if you're you know interested in our company, we'd love to have you an investor. Anyway, he wrote back in like a half hour, Saying that he loved the concept and he wanted to give us money. Oh, I
0: I love that. The rest is history. Uh, I love that. So, you did that was a seed round. Did you uh, on the 750K? Now, are you? I imagine you're into your priced rounds at this point, right? Yeah, the last two rounds were both priced equity. Got it. So, what was your series B and what year, what what month and year did you raise that in? That was um, 7.8 million and we raised that in uh, the fall of 2014. And what was the fall of 2014 or 2015?
1: 14. That was, it closed in like January of 15.
0: Okay, got it. So if if I'm a betting man, I'd I'd be saying if you guys are growing, uh, like I think you are, you're probably raising capital right now. That's a very good assumption. (laughs) All right, Rob. Well, hey, before we get into my favorite part of the show, if people want to connect with you personally and follow your guys' journey online, where can they do that?
1: Yeah, so you head over to either hourlynerd.com or our enterprise site at enterprise.hourlynerd.com. Um, that's, and then across all social media properties, believe it or not, we we do own Hourly Nerd. <laughs> and then uh, on Twitter, I'm uh, Biederman Rob B I E D E R M A N R O B.
0: Okay, Top Tribe, do not forget your chance to win a hundred bucks right here on the podcast every Monday. It's very simple. You just subscribe to the show on iTunes, and then once you've done that, text me to prove that you've done it. My number is 703-431-2709. Subscribe now and text me to enter 703-431-2709. Sign up, get your own domain for 30% off and a 45-day money-back guarantee. Okay, again, I make great deals for you guys. Go to HostGator.com forward slash Nathan to grab that now. I love that. Top Tribe, there you have that. We'll link to all that in the show notes at NathanLatka.com forward slash the top 276. All right, Rob, we're about to get to my favorite part of the show, which is the wrap-up. Do you know what time it is? Uh, it has a title. It has a title. You have to know the title. It's time for the famous five. Are you ready? This yep. a rapid fire. Number one. What's your favorite business book? Uh, only the parent knows. And survive, Andy Grove. Yeah, and I'm bummed we obviously lost him. Number two. Is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now? Uh, I'd say Jeff Immelt at GE is doing incredible things. Sorry, who? Jeff Immelt at GE is
1: doing incredible things in a very, uh, very old business.
0: Got it. Number three, is there a favorite online tool you have, like FreshBooks? Uh, you know, I've just
1: added Slack. We went to
0: full Slack for the company. I must say it's a pretty good experience. Okay. Uh, Number four, uh, give us a real quick uh, a sense of where you're at. Married, single, do you have kids? Uh, I'm, uh, I live with my girlfriend, but we have no kids and are not yet married. Okay. And how old are you? I'm 29. Okay, so here's the question. Obviously, you're dating, you're 29 years old. Here's my question. As you're building this empire, are you getting eight hours of sleep every night or not?
1: Uh, I get about six hours of sleep every night.
0: (laughs) Okay, that's pretty good. And then last question, Rob. Take us back nine years to your 20-year-old self. What do you wish that he knew? Oh my God, I think he would've taken some computer science classes. (laughs) (laughs) Says every MBA right now, right? Totally. All right, guys, top tribe. There you have it. Rob Biederman dropped out, gave up a big, big six figure salary in P.E. at twenty five or twenty six years old. Launched Hourly Nerd has raised over ten million dollars in capital, most recently a series B in fall 2014, doing well over five million dollars in revenue in 2015 with a 58 person team up there in Boston building something special. Rob, thank you for taking us to the top.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. You bet.
0: If you guys enjoyed Rob today, go back and listen to episode 275 from yesterday. We walk through how Fun 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 Fest went from 3,000 to 6,000 attendees in under five years with the founder. Top Tribe, I love giving away free money. I feel like Oprah giving away cars, and I have something special for you today.